All right. I'm going to pray for us. God, we ask that you would speak to us today through your word about how we praise you and adore you. And God, I pray that you would just be a blessing to us as we are a blessing to you, as we think about your word and let it speak to our soul, let it work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, everybody have a seat. We're gonna get into it today. I am super excited about today because we are gonna be talking about adoration, about praise. We're gonna be talking about the process of giving God praise. But I wanna start by quizzing you all. Who loves to take quizzes? Oh, okay. Well, first of all, let me just say, I know Mike and, and uh, I know Mike had a big test, right? Right? And we had a big test down here, right? How'd it go? Good. Okay. My wife just finished her last final yesterday for her undergrad. She's totally done with her undergrad. But probably the greatest test of all comes in the fact that we have a birthday in the room. Ron Hager. Yep. 69 years old. That's a great test. Getting to 69 is a great test, and he's done it so well. So I have a quiz to celebrate all of that for each of you. I'm going to quiz you on famous opening lines, okay? Could be from a movie, could be from a book, could be from a famous speech. And so I want you to open up your mind and just think, okay, what might this be? So I'm going to read you a line, and I'm going to give you just a few seconds to go ahead and think to yourself what it might be. And then when you know what it is, turn to your neighbor, submit your answer to your neighbor, okay? All right. So the first one is this. In a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. Okay. If you got the hobbit... By Tolkien, you were correct. Jessica, did you get that? Yeah, you got it. Okay, Jessica nailed it. Good job. Her brain's fried and she still got it. That was an easy one. That was an easy one, okay? Here's the next one. Very short, but very iconic. Call me Ishmael. Ishmael? Uh-huh. Ishmael. Yep, it's a name. <laughs> Call me Ishmael. Anybody? Moby Dick. Yes, Patrick. Well done, my friend. Okay. Changing up, changing up a little bit. Here's another one. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Okay. Star Wars. Yes. Well done. This one a little bit longer, but probably just as recognizable. Okay. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Okay, turn to your neighbor. Tell them what you think it is. The Bible. <laughs> the Bible. It's not the Bible. The Gettysburg Address by President Abraham Lincoln. Okay, and the final one right here. So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Turn to your neighbor, submit your answer. It's FDR's first inaugural address. I heard Kelly get it. Good job. That wasn't you? Oh, Patty, you're awesome. Awesome. 
Okay, so why the first lines? Why the opening lines? Well, today we're going to begin a study of the Lord's Prayer. It's going to take a couple weeks, okay? And the opening line in this prayer is amazing. The key ingredient in a good speech or a good paper or good writing, whatever you may be delivering, is indeed a great opening line that grabs your attention and sparks your interest. The greatest man in the history of the world at using his words to grab people's attention was Jesus. And the passage that we're going to focus on today is a prayer that Jesus prayed to teach his disciples how to pray. That includes us. And his opening line was certainly an attention grabber. So we're in our third week of this series. And we're going to have many more weeks on prayer, and I'm excited about that. And the next few weeks are going to be centered around the Lord's Prayer. And here's the reason why we're spending so much time focusing on prayer. Prayer is to Christian flourishing as oxygen is to water. It's just an essential element. It cannot exist in its right form without the essential element. Just like Christians cannot exist with, in their flourishing state, if you don't want to flourish, don't pray. But if you want to flourish the way that God's designed us to flourish, then you need to be praying. And so this week, again, diving into the Lord's Prayer, studying it line by line, will unpack the depth and the richness of Jesus's prayer. Because no doubt, most of us, if not all of us, have heard it over and over and over but we probably let it just go by without thinking about what Jesus is actually saying and what he's implying. So let me read this prayer to you. We're going to find it in Matthew chapter 6. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, it'll also be on the screen. But I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we'll go back to the opening line. Matthew 6, starting in verse 9, says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So at first glance, that first line, our Father in heaven, sounds as common as maybe a greeting when you came into church. Hey, how's it going? Hey, good to see you. Hey, blah, 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 right? Like whatever it may be, it can kind of sound like that because A, we've heard the prayer a lot, but also it's just our Father in heaven, right? But I like to think of it more like a Bruce Buffer announcement at a big sporting event, right? Because the, the significance of it, right? Like Jesus saying, our Father in heaven, right? Like that's probably not how he said it, but the significance of what he was saying matches that same energy, it would definitely have grabbed his audience's attention, which was his disciples. And the primary reason was to address God. The reason why it was so attention-grabbing was to address God as Father in that day was way too personal and intimate. That would never have flown in their culture. Their reverence for the name of God was so high that to say, "Our God, our Father in heaven would have been far too personal and intimate. Now, we don't have time today for a full language study. Many of you are thankful for that. 
But the point is taken that for Jesus to begin his prayer this way was indeed intentional. And it was designed to grab the attention of the people listening. But it was also designed to teach us about God's nature. To teach us that it's not just how you get into a prayer. You don't just say, dear God, but you are addressing a very personal and intimate God. Jesus wasn't just trying to show God's fatherly nature, though, but he was also communicating the heavenly nature of God, the supremity, the supreme nature of God. So we have both a supreme God who's in heaven and a very personal and intimate God being established in three, sorry, four simple words. Our Father in heaven, Jesus captures these two incredible ideas that God is both supreme in all ways and yet completely personal all at the same time. So it's as if Jesus was saying, when you pray, take note of who you are talking to. When you pray, make sure you understand that you are talking to the God who spoke creation into existence. That when you talk to God, when you pray, that you spoke to the God who breathed life into humanity. You spoke to the God who rules on the throne of heaven. And you also spoke to God who's so personal and intimate that he gave value and purpose to every single person that's ever existed, to ever be conceived. He's so personal, he's so great that he knows the number of hairs on your head. When you pray and you address God, our Father in heaven, you are talking to the God who walked and talked with Adam and Eve in the garden as if they were neighbors strolling on a sunny spring day like today. So God is both supreme and personal. When you pray, you are praying to God who is in heaven ruling all creation and yet knows your name your dreams, your fears, everything about you. That's an incredible God. Jesus is establishing all of that in those four simple words. But he's not just doing that. He's also addressing the nature of community that God has established. So the opening line also reminds us that God is not just my father, but he is our father. And it may seem obvious, but the difference between my and our is almost directly opposite, right? He is your personal father. He is your God, but he is our God, and he's called us into community. Our father is intentional and declarative. It says that we are in this together, that we are the church, that we are called to pray for each other. And if you remember from a few weeks ago, In our first week, praying for each other is essential, and we call that intercession, lifting up the needs of other people. So the ourness, the O-U-R-ness of this prayer is a reminder that we are connected to each other, brothers and sisters adopted into the family of God. So our Father in heaven is this deep and declarative opening line to a very important prayer, and it establishes in four words the community of believers under one supreme God. But 
It keeps getting better. It keeps getting better. In fact, the full sentence, the full opening line says this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So Jesus follows up this opening declaration with a beautiful expression of adoration for the father. Now, hallowed is not a term that you probably hear very often. Typically in modern English, it's used to describe, uh, it's used as an adjective to describe a particular place. Like you are standing in these hallowed halls. But in this text, it's actually used as a verb or as an action, more like Halloween, not Halloween, Halloween, I-N-G. So Halloween defined is to make holy or set apart for holy use. So in our everyday language, the line might read like this. Our Father in heaven, your name is, like un, is unlike any other name. We praise you because your name is above all and holy. In fact, the thing that most commonly resembles hallowing in our context is the act of giving praise. In fact, I want you just to turn to your neighbor and just give them a bit of praise. Tell them how nice they look or how, well, maybe not how good they smell. That's kind of weird. <laughs> praise is our personal and often outward expression of honor to God. So if you've been around church any amount of time, uh, any amount of time, you've probably heard uh, a phrase like worship, like I'm going to worship to describe singing songs. Now, no doubt, that is part of it. But singing is only part of the way that we worship God. Our modern definition of worship is this, that it's the reverent love and devotion accorded a deity, an idol, or a sacred object. So therefore, our worship is rooted in our love and devotion to God. But it's actually out of that love and devotion that we praise God, that we hallow his name. So maybe you're sitting there, and if you're honest with us, and you're honest with, your, you know, with yourself, you probably thought to yourself at different times throughout church experiences, throughout your Christian uh, life, that entering into a time of praise of hallowing the name of God can be very difficult. Can you just, I'm just gonna raise my hand. Anybody else have a problem with that at times? Okay, no, oh wow, we have an, no one has trouble besides Scott, me, and Cindy at praising God all of the time. That's amazing. Well, maybe we need a support group for each other. <laughs> I think that if we're honest with ourselves, there are times when praising God does not feel natural or easy. In fact, I know that's true. I know that all of you that didn't raise your hands, well, I'm not going to call you liars, but <laughs> sometimes it's rough. Sometimes praising the name of God, hallowing the name of God is not easy. In fact, most of the time for me, if I am up here praising God, it's not because I'm so overjoyed with love and adoration and worship that I just can't help myself. That does happen occasionally, but actually what's happening most of the time when I stand here in the front row and sing off key in Jessica's face and says so she has to battle that and all the other things is because I'm trying to mimic a behavior that will drag my soul into a posture of worship. Because it's not always easy. 
I have things in my brain just like you have things in your brain. When you come in, you're reflecting on the week past or on things that are coming up the week ahead. Or maybe you're just looking forward to something after church. And those are all normal things. So sometimes entering into praise to hallowing God's name, we actually have to work at it. And it's for this very reason why I and why we need these times, these times when we stand here and we sing and we praise God and we worship God through song, that we intentionally enter into those and hallow God's name so that we can strengthen the spiritual muscle of praising God. So that's the exact same reason why Jesus is teaching us to pray in this manner. Prayers of adoration, prayers of praise, prayers of hallowing the name of God are an exercise in training your heart and your mind to truly desire praising God. It's not always going to be natural, but the more you train the muscle, the easier it becomes. So when Jesus says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, he's teaching us to train ourselves despite our circumstances to enter into a posture of praise and adoration. I heard another pastor put it this way. He said, adoration is most potent when it is gritty, willful, and even defiant. Gritty, willful, and even defiant. Your praise of God will not always come easy. Rather, through gritty determination, you can build the muscle of praise and adoration. Your praise will not always flow from a comfort of God's design for your life, but from willful alignment with his call in your life. Your praise of God will likely come at times in defiance to the pressure to address all of the things that need your attention and just deciding to set those aside to hallow the name of God. And this is awesome because it's not something that we alone face. This is a reality for every Christ follower who's ever existed. And we actually have a really awesome story in the book of Acts of Paul and Silas defying the stress of life to lift up their praise and hallow the name of God. So in Acts chapter 16, this one's not going to be on the screen, so you might want to turn there or just close your eyes and listen along. We're going to read a story of Paul and Silas in a situation that is pretty inconvenient, if I'm honest, and then about their response. So it says in Acts chapter 16, verse 16 through 24, it says, Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are the servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. And finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. So we start by seeing the setting. This demon-possessed girl is following Paul and Silas, mockingly proclaiming the name of God, creating such commotion that all of their ministry efforts are not being received as they had hoped. 
And so then in verse 19, it says, when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice, which is a lie, by the way. But they're frustrated, and so they're going to tell a lie to get these guys back, to get revenge. In verse 22, it says this, The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them into the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. It's at this moment, if I'm them, that it would be completely understandable from my perspective and probably yours for them to spend all of their energy and all of their time and all of their thought process towards the pressing matter of getting out of this situation, of getting out of jail for no good reason. But what actually happens is far different. And we, we read about that in verse 25. In Acts 16.25, this line is amazing. It says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and other prisoners were listening to them. So they're going about their business. Somebody's bugging them, making fun of them, giving them the business. They simply, Paul turns around, frees this girl of her demon possession through the power of God. They get super mad because that was their stream of income. So they make up a lie that lands Paul and Silas in prison. And their response is to sing and pray. Really? Really? Their response to this unjust imprisonment and potentially life-threatening situation is to pray and sing and to hallow the name of God. What's even more wild is that this is not the only example of this in Paul's life. Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this prayer to the Ephesians while in prison. Mind you, he's penning this prayer through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to the church in Ephesus while in prison. And this is what he says. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. This one will be on the screen. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all of the Lord's people to grasp how wide, how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is, in, that is at work within us, to, be, 
to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This doesn't sound like the prayer I'd be praying if I'm in prison. Lord, get me out of here. The food is terrible. I just want to play basketball. Well, I could probably do that in prison. But not in this prison, not in their time. That's not the prayer that I would be praying. I would be asking God to save me from my situation, to deliver me into the freedom that I so enjoy today. But for Paul, this prayer was a prayer of situational defiance. He was going to hallow the name of God despite being in prison. And he was going to write what becomes a letter that is a book in the Bible that we can read today. And verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us. That God could easily have freed him when he pins that line. He knows that. And so he just says, you know what? I'm going to hallow the name of God. I ask the question, what if instead of scheming to get out of my inconveniences, I spent my time and energy hallowing the name of God through prayer, through praise, through adoration? Returning to our story in Acts, Starting in verse 26, we see something incredible happening as a result of Paul and Silas's choice to hallow the name of God despite their circumstances. Acts 16 says, suddenly, verse 26 says, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword, and he was about to kill himself because he thought that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to them and all the others in his house. And that hour of the night, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. You see, in the midst of that crazy situation where they thought, they probably thought, man, we were just trying to proclaim the goodness of God to a group of people, and this whole situation has ruined it. They defiantly hallowed the name of God. They said, you know what? We're not going to let our circumstances ruin this moment. And then as a result, God is so faithful to them that they actually lead the jailer and his whole family to a life in Jesus. I am not going to say that it was the result of their praise and their prayers that God did this work. It's not because of that. But I will point out that the scripture seems to be leading us in that direction by connecting these two events line by line. 
God could have easily done the miraculous regardless of their behavior. Even in spite of their behavior, maybe they were just, maybe let's, let's just say they go, what God's going to do. Whining and crying, and, oh, please let us out. And that's how they spent their energy. Guess what? God's still going to do what God's going to do. But that's not the story we read. The story we read is that they were hallowing the name of God and then this miraculous, incredible event that led to the salvation of an entire household. So here's the big idea for today. Prayer is powerful. Prayer changes us. Prayer changes the world. So here's the question that I've been asking myself, and I would encourage you to do the same. I've been asking myself this all week as I've prepared for this. Am I serious about petitioning God to change the world? Are we as a church taking the call to pray for ourselves, to pray for our families, for our friends, for this church, for this world, not to be the way that we want it, but to be the way that God intends it to be? If I'm serious, this is the conviction that I've been having. If I'm serious, then I must pray. Because that is the way that we are going to see the things that need to change, change. And there's no other solution. There's no other solution. Jesus is the only solution. And so we can continue to think that different things are going to solve our problems besides Jesus. But that is just not the case. Jesus is going to be at the foundation of everything good in our life and everything important that changes. And the way that we connect to that and interact with that first and foremost is through prayer. So we must pray. We do me a favor and stand up. We're going to take a few minutes and we're just going to respond. I felt like in especially given the nature of this story of hallowing the name of God through song and hymn, that it was appropriate that we spend some time doing that very thing. In a minute, I'm going to come back and we're going to pray together. And then we're going to sing another song. And I want you to just spend this time separating yourself from your thoughts from the past week or the week ahead or the hours ahead and just hallow the name of God. Give him the praise and the adoration that only he deserves. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for an encouraging word like the Lord's prayer. Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. The God of the universe decided to reveal himself to us today. Thank you for encouraging stories like Paul and Silas that despite what seemed like an insane situation that was certainly going to lead to their demise, you are more. You are in control. And they did not have to fear. And we do not have to fear. So God, let us hallow your name as we sing today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.